Hello, and welcome to the Engineering Your Farm podcast. This podcast is produced by the Iowa State University Extension and Outreach Field Agricultural Engineering Team. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I'm Brian Doherty, Field Agricultural Engineer with Iowa State University Extension and Outreach. And today on Engineering Your Farm, we're going to be discussing compaction what it is, how it happens, and what you can do to prevent it from happening or try to alleviate it if it does happen. Our guest today is a regional extension educator with the University of Minnesota Extension, and her areas of expertise include tillage management systems, soil compaction, and soil health management. Our guest is Jody DeYoung-Hughes. So, Jody, thanks for being here today. Well, thanks for inviting me. Before we get into the discussion on compaction, can you just tell us a little bit more about yourself? You know, how did you get started as an extension educator and what led you to focusing on compaction and soil health issues? Well, let's see. Almost 30 years ago, I went to school at Colorado State for soil management and then ended up at Iowa State doing my master's in soil fertility. And over the years, with my job with extension, I just saw that uh, there wasn't a lot on compaction. I also lucked out that we do have one of the best compaction gurus in the world is in Morris, Minnesota, where I had worked for five years. And Ward Voorhees helped me out with uh, compaction and really piqued my interest in it. It's, it's kind of like any class that you have in, in college or school. If the teacher is excited about it, the students get excited. And when you talk about compaction, you have to talk about tillage. So I got more and more trained on tillage and um, yeah, so that's how I ended up here. Okay. So let's get into the details on compaction. So what exactly is compaction and how would you just explain it in simple terms to a layperson? Well, compaction is just the reduction of pore space. So in our soil, we have sand, silt, and clay and organic matter, and we have water and air. And there is an ideal proportion to that. So what plant roots like and what the microbiology likes is 50% sand, silt, clay, and then 50% pore space. And in that pore space, half of the pores are filled with water and half have air. And like I said, that's an ideal situation. So when you compact a soil and put weight on the soil, what you do is you lose your air space. Uh, the water can't squish out. So you end up with a soil with more moisture in it. And that can have um, benefits in a very dry year or um, in, in a wet year that's no compaction is very good at all. So how do you go about determining if soil compaction is a problem or not? Let's say I'm out scouting my field. You know, what signs should I look for? Well, you probably feel it in the tractor. So when you're pulling tillage implements through, it's going to be, you need to gear down or it gets a lot harder to get through that section. Uh, you may see areas in the fields that uh, are wet that are growing in the acres that they drown out. Or you can see plant and root growth differences, especially from above the ground, you'll see that the, the crops are more uneven. And then below ground, you can also check and see if the roots are you know, going down into the soil or are they hitting something and making an L shape. Soybean roots are wonderful at looking at that because they're not very strong. And when you have a compacted layer, they'll show it a lot faster than corn roots. And then uh, root rots, because remember, you're losing that airspace. So your soil is wetter for a longer period of time. And if the weather conditions are right, then root rots become more of an issue. 
And then what you want to do is go out there with a soil probe or um, a tile flag or anything that you can poke down into the soil and see where that restrictive layer is. And then take a shovel and see if your roots are having troubles. Because sometimes there's just some natural variation in the soil and the probe, it may hit it and it may feel like there's compaction or it stops the probe. But if you look at the roots, the roots are doing fine. So you want to make sure it's affecting the roots. So there are different depths in the soil where compaction can occur. It could be near the surface. It could be deeper in the profile. So what are the main differences there? What are the causes of deep compaction versus more shallow compaction near the surface? Like you said, there are different types of compaction. So the first kind is crusting. When you have a heavy downpour and you don't have any residue protecting the soil, you can crust the soil and you may have to go out there and do a harrow or something to pop it open, especially if it's right before emergence. Uh, The other shallow ones could be a plow pan, which you can create with your most shallowest tillage. So if you go out there with a field cultivator when it's wet, you can smear the soil at about three inches and that's considered a plow pan. That one though is a little bit easier to take care of. You just take uh, deeper tillage or, um, you know, over the years it will be okay. But then the deeper compaction that you can form a tillage pan with is say you've been chisel plow at eight inches for 20 years. Well, you probably have a tillage pan that's being created. And then a lot of people in West Central Minnesota has have gone to something deeper like a disc ripper, which is ripped that out, but then set you up for, you know, 10 inches where you have a plow pan. So that's uh, kind of the deeper ones. Now, what creates some of the compaction on the surface is a lack of residue, uh, lack of roots holding that soil together and aggregating it. So if you have good soil health, you have less of a compaction issue. And your tire pressure it dictates the intensity of the compaction that your tires put down. So if you have high tire pressure, high high PSIs, you put down about one or two PSI higher than what your tire is inflated to. And then let's say you're inflated to 35. So on the surface, it's at 36, 37. And as it goes deeper into the soil, it gets less and less. And for deep compaction, your axle load uh, predicts how deep that compaction is going to go. So tire pressure is the intensity and the load is the depth. And those are things that we can manage. We can't manage the weather, you know, we can't get those uh, ideal rains, um, but we can build our soil health and we can also look at our equipment. The other thing about soil health is a well-aggregated soil or well-structured soil, those little aggregates in the soil, they are like mini columns in the soil that help hold up the weight of equipment. And the more tillage you do, the more you break those apart. So the more tillage you do, the more you're set up for compaction as well. And the better your soil health, the more that soil can hold up the weight of equipment that you're going you know, using out there. Most farmers are going to be concerned about the bottom line here and the economic impact of compaction. So what are you seeing there? What kind of yield impacts could you expect? Or what are some of the additional costs that would come with having a compacted field? Well, um, when you have a compacted field and it's drier out there, uh, you're going to take a lot more fuel to get any tillage equipment across the field and you're going to wear out your points. I mean, they're already thinking of that this this fall because we've been very droughty up here in Minnesota, especially Northern. And if you're gonna be pulling through chisel shanks or points, um, 
and you have a very compacted dry soil, it's going to wear them out very quickly. And then also nutrients getting to the crop, like uh, nitrogen and potassium. Those two are really indicative of uh, compaction issues. And then yield, this is a little trickier. It can be anywhere from zero to 60% yield loss. So it's quite a range and it has a lot of factors. It depends on the, the depth of that compaction, the intensity, um, if it's a pan or wheel traffic. There's just so many different variables that it's hard to, to predict, but we have definitely seen issues up to 60%. And then some of the data that was from Southern Minnesota shows that you have a 30% yield decrease uh, the first year you use 20 ton and axle load, and then it kind of alleviated itself in the five years. But what they found out is in years that the plant stressed, so too wet or too dry out there, compaction reared its ugly head again. And so they they lost uh, yield over 12 years, they lost 6%. It was just normal. And that was with only a one 20 ton load being placed on that field. That wasn't continuous like what we do. So I want to get into a little more in depth on alleviating compaction, but before we do that, you know, what about freeze thaw cycles? So I've heard that that can help break up some compaction. So can I just sit back and let mother nature take care of the problem for me, or do I need to do something additional about it? Well, I think freeze thaw was true many years ago when we had very light or lighter tillage equipment. And we also had perennials in our rotation. Um, because about every 10 ton an axle load, you're going to about a foot into the soil. And right now we have equipment that's, you know, 40, 50 ton an axle load. Some of them even go up to like the 2000 bushel grain carts go up to 76 ton an axle load. Um, free saw cannot take care of that. It can take care of the top two to five inches where, um, Say it's kind of cloddy after tillage, and then you see it mellow out by spring. But what it needs is that soil needs to have water in it for freeze thaw to even work. So like this year, if it's very droughty and you have no moisture, you're not going to see much breakdown and and mellowing of that soil over the winter. So it takes care of the clods on the surface, but it doesn't take care of your deep compaction because you also need multiple freeze thaw cycles to break that up. And usually we have one deep frost and and then it's gone. So the other thing about that is wetting and drying actually do more than freezing and thawing. So in the summertime, when your soils crack open, if you have uh, clay in your soil, most of our clays in up compaction, but you can't predict where it's going to be or how deep it's going to be, but it is doing deep tillage for you and taking out that compaction. But I wouldn't rely on freeze thaw to take care of everything. Okay, so you talked about the impact of wheel traffic and a little bit on tire inflation pressure. Do you think, do you have just kind of a sense for, are we seeing more compaction from wheel traffic because of wetter field conditions? You know, we've had a lot of wet springs, a lot of wet falls during harvest. So is that more of an issue or do you think it's just the equipment's getting much larger and we've got much heavier axle weights than we had in the past? Um, Both. The number one way to compact a soil is to go on it when it's wet. And you have to go when most of the field is fit. So there are going to be places that you compact. But then with the equipment that we've had, it's getting heavier and heavier. Where, you know, before it used to be, oh, if you're about eight ton an axle tractor, that was, 
even five ton was fairly common. And in the last 30 years, we've gone up to where tractors like a quad track will be up around 18 ton an axle load. Now, a loaded John Deere combine with a 12 row header and filled here is 20 ton an axle load. So we have tractors that are almost the same weight as a loaded combine. The other thing that we've increased the size on is our grain carts. So they used to be 700 bushels. I mean, even in my career, 700 bushel was a large grain cart. And now they're up at 1,200, 1,500. And like I said, they even have the 2,000 bushel one out now. And those are causing really deep, severe compaction. And again, like you said, our falls are wet. We kind of count on our falls being dry. And so this wouldn't be much of an issue. But every year I've written an article about fall compaction because somewhere in the state of Minnesota, we've had a lot of rain and, you know, they need that article. And other parts of the state will call in and say, well, we're, I'm dry. What are you talking about? Well, if you're dry, you're doing great because you won't compact as much or as deep. But um, yeah, we've had a lot of ruts in our fields and things like that lately. So what about tracks? You know, I see more and more people that are starting to put tracks on their combines or putting tracks on grain carts. Is that something where you get to a certain axle load? You should consider going to tracks to try to spread that weight out. Or can you still be okay if you just manage your tire inflation pressure properly? Uh, tracks are better at flotation, but flotation is not necessarily not compacting. Compaction happens for two things, the PSI of the tire or the track and the weight that it is carrying. Now, there is a difference in tracks based on, you know, quad track or the dual tracks out there. They do hold weight differently. But let's say you're looking at, you know, where you just have the two tracks and you're on a tractor and it starts pulling an implement. The tractor actually pulls to the back, even if you got suitcases on the front, and it causes pressure points on those tracks. So while a track has an average PSI of, say, four to seven, which is great, anything under 10 is wonderful. The problem with that is the bogey wheels actually give pressure points into the soil. And they have research that shows that it can be about 15 to almost 20 PSI. And that's for a tractor, not even for a heavier combine. So you have those pressure points. So if you can take your tires and you get the properly inflated, I'm not saying to underinflate them. And if you can get a larger tire where you can lower your PSI, that's the biggest bang for your buck. If you like tracks, and you like how they perform out there, that's great. I'm not saying don't buy tracks. I'm saying that tracks are not the magic bullet for compaction. They are still creating compaction. You just don't see it the same. Great, excellent information. So let's say it does turn wet on me and despite my best efforts, I I have to get the crop out and I end up creating some pretty nasty ruts out in the field. So what's the best way to deal with those? You know, Can I just go in with a deep ripper and fix those or what do you recommend there? Well, uh, we'll remember back to that structure is your number one defense against soil compaction and tillage breaks apart structure. So if you do have ruts, I think our intuition says we should go out there and just rip the whole field, you know, and just homogenize it all. But that's actually more destructive than if you just take care of those ruts. So depending on how many you have, I would just work the area where the ruts are and I would just fill them in. You don't need to take a subsoiler out there and get the bottom of that rut. I wouldn't do it. Um, I would just fill them in and start letting Mother Nature slowly take care of the issue. 
farmers have been asking me, you know, they've been seeing out there maybe about three years, they see a yield decrease where the, the ruts had been. And we did some research where we looked at seven different fields and it was a really wet year in the fall and in the spring. And what we found is that we had really consistently an 18% yield decrease and about 14% the next year in all those plots. And by the third year, I couldn't find where the rut was anymore. We had flagged them off, GPS them, went out there with penetrometers. And for the first two years, yeah, you could find them really easy. But by the third year, they seem to have diminished quite a lot. So you will see a yield decrease no matter how you fill them back in or if you rip them. But remember, if you rip them and you start destroying the structure further down into the soil profile, you're going to sink further when it does get wet. Great. So let's get into the tillage debate a little bit more here. For decades, we've been using tillage because it was kind of conventional wisdom that, you know, that's how you get rid of compaction. But you've talked about the issues with, you know, disrupting your soil aggregation, which could just ultimately make the problem worse in the long run. So how do you address that trade-off and what advice do you give to farmers related to tillage? I know it's not easy or is it even feasible for people to just go no-till? But to back off the tillage that you do, so be less aggressive. If you have something that doesn't leave very much residue, try to go with a different shank or a point that will leave more residue on the soil surface and will do less damage to the structure. Uh, Reduce the number of passes. I know there's some guys out here who will chisel plow twice in the fall and field cultivate twice in the spring, and there's not any reason to do that. If you want to look at data on tillage, we'll talk about that resource, but we have tillage data from Minnesota into North Dakota. And yes, we are colder than Iowa and we're far north and we can show that with soybeans, tillage really doesn't help yield at all. And with corn, about 50% of the time it does. So what I do is I help them back off the depth, the number of passes and the aggressiveness to help save more structure. Also, discs are very hard on soil structure. They tell the soil where to cut and separate. And if you look at any road that's being built, you'll see a disc sitting on the side. And the reason why is because it takes out all the structure in the soil and lets that roadbed, you know, sink down evenly so that you don't have the heaves later on. And we don't want that in our field. That's great for a road, but we don't want roads in our field. So I'd say stay away from the disc. And then if you do have a hard pan and you want to do tillage, I would say to take a subsoiler, a straight shanked subsoiler, not a parabolic one, not a bent leg, uh, and go through the soil because you don't want to bring up that subsoil to the surface. You don't want to mix it into your topsoil. You want to keep it down below because there's a lot of differences between that tan subsoil and the black topsoil. And you want to know exactly where that uh, tillage pan is. Let's say it's at eight inches. You don't want to bring a 20-inch subsoiler. You want to lighten it up to uh, about nine inches and you'll pop through it. But remember, if it's really, really dry out there, subsoilers take anywhere from 50 to 80 horsepower per shank when it's really dry like that. So you're going to need a big tractor to pull it. Excellent advice. So I want to talk a little bit about cover crops. So you do a fair amount of soil health work, and I'm sure you deal with cover crop issues a lot. Anybody who's on Twitter, follows any soil health things there, you've probably seen the roots, not iron hashtag. And that sounds great in theory, but you know, there's also complicated interactions there with climate and soil type that just sometimes make it difficult to get a cover crop established. 
So how can cover crops help address compaction issues and what advice are you giving farmers specific to using cover crops to address compaction? Well, I think if um, you've heard anything about cover crops, they always ask, what's your goal? So is it to create structure to prevent any more compaction or is it to get rid of compaction that you already have? And if you have compaction, you'll want the tap roots and they can help break or work on it anyway. The longer they can grow, the more they can work on that layer. And then if you have where you want to create soil structure quickly, then you use the fibrous roots. All the exudates that come out of the roots and the microbes in the soil, they create all these sticky substances and help hold that soil together and start creating structure. And that will help make your soil more resilient. But as for getting cover crops into a corn bean rotation, yes, that can be difficult. Um, Like I said up here, luckily just this last weekend, we got two inches of rain. Otherwise, I was seriously considering ending the research project or postponing it because we had to put down cover crops this fall. And it's like, there's no moisture to even get them started. So cover crops have some phenomenal values to them. They're just a little bit more varied in whether we can use them every year in every field. But reducing tillage can be done in every field, unless you're no-till. <laughs> but you know, we, we do a lot of tillage and we don't need to. So if you can't build up that structure as fast as you could with cover crops, at least decrease the rate that you're you know, breaking them apart. Also for soybeans, again, it's a great crop for no-till. And anywhere that you can reduce your tillage is a great place to add it. The other thing with cover crops is the low-hanging fruit. So if you can do, if you have veggie crops like uh, sweet peas and sweet corn and um, things like that, or any of the wheats and oats, those are great places to put it in. Silage, that's another thing up here that's becoming more and more popular. The other thing is, is if you ever get a chance to put in alfalfa for three years, that is a phenomenal crop to help break up compaction. It just doesn't always have a market. So you mentioned no-till and that leads right into my next question on looking more at the interaction of climate and soil type with tillage. So you work in an area that tends to have a lot of poorly drained soils, short growing season, it can be rather cold. So how does that affect a producer's ability to reduce tillage or go to no-till compared to an area that's maybe got warmer, more well-drained soils? Yeah, and even your warmer, you know, as you go south, you get more rain. So you still have a huge compaction component as you go south. But Living roots is the best way. So as long as you can keep living roots in the soil and then after they die out that you have residue on top, because what residue does is it helps protect the soil. It also wicks down moisture very quickly into the soil. And that helps from, you know, causing the crusting issues or compaction in the top few inches. So again, it's just kind of getting a living, healthy soil out there. And that's something that really is very new to us. I mean, it's only been in the 10, 12 years that soil health has been something that we're achieving. And we still only know parts of it. But we do know to build structure, living roots will do that. To destroy structure, you do it with tillage. So it's always kind of this seesaw balancing effect. You try to build faster than you destroy. I just wanted to ask as we're wrapping up here, what are your take-home thoughts or advice for farmers who want to prevent compaction or address maybe some existing compaction issues in their fields? Well, up to 80% of the compaction happens on the first pass. 
So if you're out on the field and you're unloading on the go for harvest, your combine is making the first set of tracks. Then drive your grain cart in the old combine tracks. So controlling traffic, especially the heavier equipment, is critical to not spreading wheel traffic all over your field. Uh, The other thing is, is that you're in control of the PSI of your tires. So go with larger tires to get a lower PSI or an automated inflation system. Because a lot of our equipment, when it's going down the road, you need it inflated to its max amount to, to take the heat from travel. And when you pull into a field, you can go way down on PSI and nobody's going to get out and, you know, go out there and inflate and deflate the tires. But an automated system can really help you out on that. It can bring some tires that are inflated to 60, 65 down to 30, which is a huge difference. So you want to stay around 10 PSI if you can and under 10 ton an axle load. And if you look at Canada and Sweden, they're actually saying five ton an axle load. And that will help keep it in the top foot where you can still take care of it with tillage or with cover crop roots. The other thing is reduce your tillage number of passes, the aggressiveness and the depth. And so there's a lot of tools in this toolbox to help with compaction. And again, if it was easy to take care of, we wouldn't have such a problem with it. Yeah, great point and uh, excellent information. So thanks so much, Jody, for taking the time to be here today and sharing your insights and how farmers can address compaction issues. If you'd like to learn more, the University of Minnesota Extension has a great webpage on soil compaction. And Jody's also the co-author of the Upper Midwest Tillage Guide that has a lot of great information as well. You can do a web search and find those resources online. Jody, do you have any other resources that you'd recommend? Well, the soil compaction one we're rewriting right now, uh, everything that's on the one online is relevant, but we're just updating everything and trying to take a different aspect, you know, the soil health aspect with it too. So uh, look out for that. And we also have a soil management summit that will be in Mankato this year, December 14th and 15th. And if you Google me or soil management summit, you should be able to find it. And we do talk about compaction there and how to improve soil health in many different ways. Sounds great. I'm looking forward to the conference myself. You can also follow Jody on Twitter at Soil Lorax, and you can follow us on Twitter at IA Field Ag ENGRS. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to the podcast and feel free to drop us a line with comments or suggestions at engineeryourfarm at gmail.com. You've been listening to the Engineering Your Farm podcast. Mm-hmm.